You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Reporting is eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. If you go to AppletonCoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you will save 15% this year. Again, that's AppletonCoffee.com. Use code RAE at checkout to save 15%. Symphony, an ocean's garbled vomit on the shore. Los Angeles, I'm yours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Reporting is Eligible. Uh, this is going to be Remember Some Guys and a, a very brief preview of the Rams, who are, frankly... Except for Baker Mayfield, kind of boring, but I don't know. We'll get to that. Uh, anyway, to help me talk about some guys in urban Wauwatosa, we have first. It's J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. You know I love a good bye week. You know I love a good bye week podcast. And here we are talking about a bunch of nonsense and uh, answering some questions. And hey, I did my tiebreakers thing again. I uh, saw. Very yeah, happy. It is recording this day early, but it is the tiebreaker uh, column that I rely on personally for my knowledge yeah, of tiebreakers. So, um, yeah, I, I love the just a litany of comments of people being like, "You're so dumb for talking about tiebreakers. This team's never going to go to the playoffs." Which, by the way, is probably correct, true. Yeah. But like, you know, you're so I can't believe playoffs. Everybody uses the playoffs line. Everybody, can I swear? Everybody fucking uses the you playoffs can, line. It's the bye it's week, so, so you bad. can swear. Yes, unfucking believable that people are still into <laughs> using the playoffs line. Get a new line guys it's so that's 25 years ago move on so uh but but people read it hundreds of people read it thousands hundreds of thousands not yep. hundreds of thousands just thousands <laughs> people read it because they they want to know the scenario do. so. it does numbers you want to know who to root for on sunday and it's it matters true. it's it drives your interest it's better than fantasy football because it has actual stakes not your phony made up stakes it's true yeah and uh also joining us in kanzahoma checking his phone my name is Matt, but you can call me Matab, Backing Packing Company, Meme Weaver, General Twitter Rabble Rouser, and I've had many bourbons. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, well, that's the bye week for you. Real, 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 real quick. Um, uh, for like the fourth week in a row, we were featured on uh, Hey, I Like Your Podcast. I think we'll probably not be for a little bit while after this, but thanks again for that. Second, um, a couple of uh, patrons asked for a an explanation of the advanced stats we talk about all the time. I did that on the mini pod. So you can hear it there right now, but I'm also going to just pop that on the back of this one. So, so a, a bunch of patrons asked for something that could be answered by the Patreon. <laughs> eh, it, it's good to have out there. We do talk about stuff all the time and assume knowledge that not everybody might have. It was actually was, was one of them old man. On it a was bike. A specifically actually a baseball um, patron, somebody who listens to the tailgate podcast primarily and asked in the context of wanting a comparison for the football metrics to the baseball stats like war and uh, well, you know, mostly war these days, but you know, there's others. To be clear, I very seldom know what the fuck we're talking about. I, I promise I'm not going to keep going back to that well of the F-bomb, but like, I have no idea what we're talking about when we're talking about Aya. Aya! Or Enya, or whatever, Sail Away, whatever metrics we've got going on. I want to understand them, and I try, and I, I, I have a much better handle on DVOA than I did when we first started podcasting together, but like, 
it's a little bit it's a little bit cloudy for me. I think so, the football ones are especially cloudy because a lot of them are model based. Uh, there's just a lot of opaque math and a basis on a model that nobody can see. That's like either the last three or the last four years. So I I get that totally. The, the football ones are in a lot of ways more sophisticated than the baseball ones because the baseball ones are all based on static things that are easy to quantify. Mm-hmm. Football's a mess. So anyway, that's on the back of this. If you want to hear it and you are not a patron, uh, that's a, also a glimpse of what the, the mini pod is often like, especially on the bye week. When, uh, the, by the way, the rest of the mini pod is on laterals and uh, something else fun. I don't know. I love laterals. Okay, I think you already wrote the deck for the uh, the article for this podcast. Did I? Football is a mess. Football is a mess. <laughs> Football is a mess. Hey, real quick, since since you talked about laterals, is it statistically better idea to try the old Stanford band play at the end of a game versus just chucking it up in the air and hoping what happens? You know, hoping seeing what happens. It's not the Stanford band play almost never works, and, and that's why we keep going back to the Stanford band play as the one example that worked. The Hello, one time. the River City Relay. It happened in the NFL. It happened I mean, in the NFL yeah, once. Doug yes. Flutie. There are examples all over the place. It's hey, just those JR. are memorable because all the other ones didn't work. Yeah, Jr. Let me ask you a question. Hmm. Why does the Stanford band play directly relate to the Green Bay Packers? Uh, because John Elway was involved and John Elway broke the Packers' hearts. I don't know. Help me out. Richard Rogers Sr. Was in was, the band. What? No. Uh, caught two laterals. <laughs> oh, caught two laterals. Oh, that's awesome. Good I feel research, like I, I had heard that, believe it or not, but I had forgotten that, that piece of info. Was John Elway at Stanford at the time? I don't even know. I have no idea. I, I believe that was before his time. I don't know could, anything could about be, that yeah. game other than a trumpet player just got the his ass handed is to him. on the field. Incredible. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it, Hail Mary works better than random laterals. But um, people should practice 100-yard lateral plays because there's a strategy to it. Like, there's a way to defeat the layers of tacklers that you see if you actually care to actually do that. Isn't it essentially just have someone leak out to the other side of the field and hope that someone with enough arm to get it to him is there? The home run throwback is a good example of a good, of one that works in a, a good fundamental way of going about it, yes. But you could even the do home- more complicated ones than that. <laughs> I love I love that there's names to the strategy, like, hmm, yes, this one is the home run throwback. <laughs> this reminds me of when I was playing chess against my, like, my wife's family members like little little like 10 year old cousins who knew chess like are great at chess and I, I had never really played chess so I like move my first pawn and the kid whispers like the something maneuver like I don't remember what the name was <laughs> the, the opening <laughs> the, yeah like the maneuver and I'm like son let me tell you that was not a maneuver that was just a I need to make a move and here's a pawn that was near my finger like I, I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing but anyway I always castle as early as possible because I just feel like you're supposed to. I think you are supposed to. I think that's correct a lot of the time. I actually, I know what it is, but I, I, if I tried to do it right now, I would mess it up. Oh, it's when you, when you move your I, I know what it king. is. I just don't know okay. the scenario <laughs> under which you can do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We wanted to try to find a, a theme, I think, for this bi-week podcast. And unfortunately, we just kind of fell on. Here is some kind of random Packers ephemera. Uh-huh. Uh, I was digging through <laughs> ephemera, the... Ephemera, that's a hell ephemera, of a baby. Word. That's right. I was digging through the media guide and found a bunch of names. And, and I know, Paul, you were looking at like comebacks and things like that. Yep. So I don't know if we want to structure this, how we can structure this, or we just start talking and go off on tangents and see if people are into that. <laughs> I think just that. This is this will be loose. Um, I, I do, if it's okay, I want to start with John Jefferson because I didn't know he was a Packer and had never heard of him before. And... Uh, he 
he's like one of the best young receivers of all time. And I, I just like put myself in place of a 1983 Packer fan of, yeah, th- there's this rookie. His name is John Jefferson. He's drafted Moving by the, dra- he's, Sorry. Uh, for in, he's the only receiver to gain over a thousand yards in each of his first three seasons. <laughs> and uh, it was the time of labor strife in football and he held out uh, and the, he basically demanded a trade from the chargers. And so he ended up on the Packers. And, like, he played with James Lofton and Lynn Dickey and Paul Kaufman. And, like, if I was a Packer fan of town, I'd be like, well, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> we're we're going to score 100 points a game. We just added this super great receiver to Hall of Fame guy and great tight end. Uh, and then he just got bad for really – not bad, but he got progressively worse as time went on. Um, he did play a big part in uh, their biggest – second biggest comeback of all time i I wrote too much on the rundown jared did a nice bullet point list which is the way to do this thing i wrote a i I had a i had a weird day i wrote way too much but uh uh, but like okay so for for those listening at home the first page of the rundown half of it is john jefferson's trading card and the other half is three paragraphs about john jefferson about john jefferson who also had the nickname (laughs) of space age receiver and the reason his card is on there is because his glasses are awesome and that's why he had the name he That's has great. he has a uh, what's his face from the Rams. So the the Packers had one Super Bowl, uh, excuse me, one playoff victory between Super Bowl two and the start of when when things got a lot better in 1993 when the Favre you know the 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 Favre went over the Lions and stuff. So they had one they had one playoff win. It was in 1982, which is a strike shortened season. So it's a weird year, and uh, the the. Uh, the Packers beat the Cardinals. So so John Jefferson has six catches for 148 yards and two touchdowns, yep. uh, including a 60-yard touchdown catch in the first quarter from Lynn Dickey. That gave the Packers the lead over the Cardinals. Packers win that game going away, 41-16. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a really big moment for him. And they, I think the next week, I think the next week James Lofton had like a seventy-one yard reverse uh, in a uh, in a loss <laughs> to the Cowboys. Yeah, that that happened the following week. So uh, so this was a really good receiving core. James Lofton and and John Jefferson in eighty-two were awesome. The Packers there was like this brief oasis where they didn't completely suck. It just so happened that it was a strike shortened year. This is the Bart Starr years yep. as head coach, it, and it, and it like like John Jefferson going bad. I mean everything shriveled up overall for the Packers kind of kind of in the years after that. It did, and their defense was never any good at all during the Lynn Dickey era, which you know we can kind of relate to now. I feel like for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you're, you're right about that. James Lofton had a 71 yard rush. Mark Lee, one of the actual best Packer cornerbacks ever, the next week had a 22 yard interception return in the loss to the Cowboys. Uh, just un- unfortunate that they they ran into not a juggernaut. It was the Danny White Cowboys. Ah, probably should have won that game in retrospect. Tony Dorsett, Danny White. That's a bad team. That's a t- that's a team that sucks in Tecmo Bowl. That's what that is. You uh, you got some. You feeling regret forty years later I over am. A, <laughs> over a loss that happened when we were young babes. Oh my God, was that forty years ago? <laughs> my dude, yeah. I was I born? I was born. You were born, Paul. I was Sorry, born. Man. I was six. I was old. Jr. Do you do you know my my introduction to uh, working with Paul at, at APC? You're gonna tell me, so do it. Yep. Uh, my first month at APC, we we're all talking about how old we were. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul just posts a Mike Gundy gif. Uh huh. The I'm a man. I'm 40. I get it. Yep. Of course. Yeah. The Badgers are about to play Oklahoma State. Yep. So uh, so Mike Gundy, I rolled that out. But anyway, yeah. yes. 
And so yeah, that, we were all talking about how old we were, and that's how Paul answered. And I was like, I'm going to like this place. <laughs> I, I'm feeling blessed because the Badgers are going to play Mike Gundy in a year in which I am a man and 40. Exactly. So I look forward to that bowl game uh, coming up here on the 27th. But I digress. Yep. Um, should we move to Tide for the biggest comeback? Because we should talk about um, the, the best Packer quarterback for, for random records, who is, you know. Oh, it's, it's absolutely Matt Flynn. It is Matt Flynn. Matt, Matt Flynn is the GOAT. At random stuff. Um, <laughs> it's really did I weird. tell you about the Did I tell you about the time he called me a jerk on Twitter? Nope, but you're probably going to. So <laughs> you guys are being mean. <laughs> this is definitely what I say to my daughter every time she's like, "Dad, can I tell you something?" I, I've definitely resorted to. You're gonna tell me, so just do it. <laughs> no. So this this one time, um, I was like simming a season on Madden, and uh, the quarterback broke a bunch of his records. And I tweeted about it, and Matt Flynn's like, wow, what a jerk. <laughs> Knowing Matt Flynn's Twitter personality, I'm guessing that was the dry humor version. Yes, yes it was the dry humor version, I'm and, I, and I was... That is correct. I was beyond ecstatic that he said these things to me. Yeah, single-game passing yardage, uh, all-time franchise leader, Matt Flynn, tied with Aaron yes, Rodgers, but and, and obviously tied, we recognize Matt Flynn. And, and tied for biggest comeback with a 23-point comeback against the Cowboys, where he threw for four touchdowns in the second half. I mean, half. that was... Eddie Lacy and Jared Boykin uh, was their number one receiver in that game. And, and oh Sam God. Shields. <laughs> we do not appreciate. I have banged this drum before. We don't appreciate the the cosmic impossibility of the 2013 Packers season. We really don't. It's insane. We, this Bears game at the end of the year, winner take all. Everyone remembers that the Randall Cobb is wide open with 14 seconds left or whatever. Like that in and of itself insane but the games to get them to that point matt flynn at quarterback winning these back-to-back games coming back against dallas made no sense i don't know how it happened it was a miracle and i feel like we don't love it enough we don't love it enough i that season changed my life that it did it (laughs) okay so you love it enough indeed so so that season was the first year i was in colorado and uh at the time i was really only a casual football fan like like I, I was definitely not into advanced statistics and and I barely even played fantasy. And uh, I had just moved to Colorado and it was pretty lonely and it was kind of hard to make friends. And, and so I just started going to my local Packer bar and I started hanging out with people there and, and going to, the, to watch the games. And five or six people from the crew that I hung out with all went to go to the Dallas game. Nice. And... I remember sitting there in Tony's bar in downtown Colorado Springs watching this absolute blowout and just going, oh, these poor guys. And then the next week when they were all back telling us the story of being present in Jerry World for the comeback. <laughs> and then the, the the after Christmas Randall, God, that, that season, man. That, that season is the reason that I'm as much of a Packer fan as I am today, yep. honestly. And it was a really thir- 37-36 game. Um all four touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. Uh, Eddie Lacy capped it off with 134 left on a one-yard touchdown. And most fun, uh, Tony Romo was the Dallas quarterback for this game. And uh, the Packers sealed it on a pass intended for Cole Beasley that Jermon Williams picked off, which, you know, Cole Beasley sucks. So good for that. Eat it, Cole Beasley. Eat it, Cole hey, Beasley. W- I believe SB Nation made a gif of that that was like Tony Romo has the athleticism to turn sacks into interceptions. <laughs> and then it shows him, it shows him evading a sack and throwing uh, the pick. Poor Tony Romo. <laughs> I love that you made the comparison to Frank Reich, which obviously yes. he doesn't quite get that standard because the Packers didn't go to the Super Bowl or, you know, didn't win a champ you know, NFC championship or anything, but 
that's basically what happened. There's no way you could have predicted or foreseen what happened in that game. Absolutely. Or, or that whole home stretch. And I always love Frank Reich because he not only quarterbacked the biggest comeback in NFL history, but he also quarterbacked the biggest comeback in NCAA college football history. Um, so good good times. That's wild. That. that guy just wild. wild. I All went, he does is win football games. Yep. I went to the following week's game against the Steelers with Andy Schaff. So, um, that, nice. And they were so close to winning that one. So close. Matt Flynn almost pulled off another one. Yeah, that was uh, that was crazy. So yes, that is their second biggest comeback. John Jefferson, though, with the Rams. What year did we say that was? Nineteen eighty. Was that eighty two? Eighty one. Right. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that is the biggest comeback in Packers history. Love it, love it. Did you have more you wanted to add? Not on really. This before that's, we go to the blowing games, I'm just glad there I had to mention Jarrett Boykin. Yes, Jarrett Boykin. Uh, there's there's some there's some. Packers receivers. There were some, remember, some guys over the last 20 years that we could easily go into, I think. <laughs> and the Rams are responsible for the biggest comeback against the Packers. Yes, they are. In, back in 1952. I don't know if we have much to go back on from 1952. Uh, yeah, I don't but, care about uh, 1952. So, Or 1957. Yeah. Uh, so 22 points. And then the Falcons did it to the 83 Packers. John Jefferson, just one catch for seven yards. There's let, the problem. Let him down. James Lofton was a monster in that game, but nobody else was. Yeah, but in modern times, you got to go to 2012 where the Packers oh, were up 18 points on Andrew Luck. The Indianapolis Colts lost 30-27 to 27 on Luck's pass to Reggie Wayne, 35 seconds left. It was 21-3 at half. Wayne was unstoppable. I don't remember this game. 13 catches. I don't remember targets. this game at all. 212 I, and a score? I don't remember that at all. I remember that game. I, I remember being hacked off. The Packers uh, took their foot off the gas for the second half of this game and could have put it away on multiple occasions and just let the Colts get back. And uh, So how old was Reggie Wayne at this point? I think pretty old. Uh, I was like, he had to be in his mid thirties. It was latter. It was not, you know, prime Reggie Wayne for sure. Uh, um, Let's see. We can look that up. We have computers. Did you guys read the piece on Andrew Luck? Sort of. uh, I I forgot who caught up with him recently. I forget who wrote it. I did read it, and it was really good. Uh, Yeah, super interesting. I like Andrew Luck. Conflicted. Yeah, Yeah, wasn't it like he he spent so much time rehabbing his injuries, he almost lost his family. They were like, you're not spending enough time with us. and Yes. <laughs> so Reggie Wayne retired, retired after the 2014 season. Just put that out there. In 2012, he had 1,355 yards on 106 catches. So still very Reggie Wayne-y. Still alive to make it to the Hall of Fame. That's still a possibility there. I don't know if it's going to happen, but he he's, he's always in the mix. He, he uh, should. His numbers are definitely good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. No question. It's the the problem is the logjam of wide receiver era that he played in. Yeah, like, there were a lot of good you're, ones. You're, you're talking about a time when multiple top ten all time wide receivers. There's never were been a better time, time to get away with a great deal on the hunt. Um. And uh, since this will make the recording on my end, but didn't get through to you guys, uh, the Pro Football Reference page has started playing auto-playing ads again, and you guys just got a little bit of it. If I don't manage to edit it out, so <laughs> annoying. Okay. What's the advertisement for? Uh, some truck. I oh, thought okay. you, I thought you had a Stathead Premium. Wouldn't that make the ads go away? I do have a Stathead Premium. Why am I getting ads? That's annoying. <laughs> Good question. Come on, Stathead, put it together. All right. So in other uh, other statistical oddities that we were looking up, you brought up uh, the most just the most receiving yards in a, in a single Packers game in the Super Bowl <laughs> era. I'm sorry. I just read the write up on you. 
<laughs> you read the write-up for which? Drew Michael. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to Drew Michael in a second. But this is against San Francisco in 1996. Don Beebe, 220-yards receiving. Okay, uh, so in an era of laser-timed 40s, how fast do you think Don Beebe really would be? Not as fast as the reputation. Um, Don Beebe definitely had a lot of stories about Don Beebe and how fast Don Beebe was. <laughs> like that he ran like a 4-2 in a gym in sandals or some crap like that. But I'm sure he was very fast, just not, you know. Don Beebe, quick fella, once ran a 4-1 wearing Adidas slides while covered in Crisco. <laughs> yep. Very Bill Brasky. To Don Beebe. Also, so I remember this game vividly. Uh, all of the Packers receivers were hurt. Um, all of the good ones. That's why Don Beebe was playing so much. And uh, that 220 yards, uh, I I'm guessing that just like there are Packer fans that walk around saying Jerry Rice fumbled, there are also San Francisco fans that walk around saying Don Beebe was actually down. Uh, because on one of his deep uh, touchdown catches, he leaped over a cornerback to make the catch, and his toe just nicked the cornerback's toe, and his knee hit the ground. And it was either pre-replay or bad replay, and that they ruled that that didn't happen, and he just ran into the end zone and scored. But it would have robbed him of a touchdown and like forty yards of offense. So I mean, that was that was bad replay because it's post Mikowski replay game. Yeah. So um, it was two hundred twenty yards, but. Maybe a case for slightly less than that. Uh, but I mean, but still 180 yards. <laughs> still good. Still good. So I was today years old when I realized, when I learned that the the BB play where he knocks the the fumble out from Leon Lett. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, I didn't realize that was actually in a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was Bill's Bill's Cowboys. Well, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I just didn't didn't know that that was Super Bowl. So that's uh, after the 92 season. So early 93, January, I assume, of 93, um, the, the Leon let, you know, gets a fumble and has a touchdown is holding out the ball. And Don Beebe comes out of nowhere like uh, like Usain Bolt, sandals in the gym, right? <laughs> Knocks the ball away j just as he's celebrating at the goal line and uh, and gets the ball back for Buffalo. Man, he comes out smelling like roses because even though he doesn't win with Buffalo, uh, he does win the Super Bowl with the Packers that year in 1996. So uh he got uh, he got to to experience all the Super Bowls and, and then actually win the ring unlike uh, unlike his brethren in Buffalo. That's uh, it's a good time, Don Beebe. Prior, well prior to uh, so prior to Brady, you had Montana Rice and Beebe, I think, in like the most Super Bowl appearances. Yeah, I, I believe you. I haven't looked that up or anything. Yeah, but that. I don't know because I mean Beebe was in at least five. He was on the '97 Packers, wasn't he? Uh yeah he was you're right so that'd be six six Super Bowls for <laughs> BB. Um he only played in ten Incredible. games. I'm not. Do are we counting just the, he was on the team for the season? He was on the on the roster, I guess. All right Bebe. then, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure he, he was active for the Super Bowl specifically though. I don't think he was. But he gets that ring. He does. He does. At least I assume. So he's he he's sort of like the Robert Ory, Steve Kerr of little white wide receivers. Or two forty. <laughs> Little um, White Wide Receivers is my favorite Prince song. <laughs> Maybe they're much too fast. <laughs> <laughs> that fell over. Uh, He's gone. That's the bourbon. It was a perfect reference, man. <laughs> yeah. 
Most uh, most receiving yards by a tight end, Jermichael Finley, 159 with the most. Uh, that was in after the 2009 season, the 2010 started the 2010 calendar year in the playoffs. As Paul puts it in the rundown, that fucking Cardinal overtime loss, which quite <laughs> honestly does apply to multiple games in our lifetimes. <laughs> it does it's so but, annoying? Uh, that was that was the face mask game, right? Uh, yes, there, if yes. you want to call it that. Aaron Rodgers fumbles on a face mask. That's not called. Yes. Also, the, the missed open Greg Jennings um, play, if you want to call it that, too. I've been trying I mean, to find out the Packer regular season tight end record, but I keep getting distracted. So that's that is a playoff game. It might be might be weird. Yeah. We we could pretend like the Packers screwed that game up, but they were down 31-10 early in the third quarter. There's no business that they had getting back into this game. This is you could argue one of the one of the the moments where Aaron Rodgers truly takes a step forward. Obviously, they win the Super Bowl the following year, but early in his career, this this insanity, this 51-45 overtime game. Rodgers throws for 423 yards and four touchdowns. He got sacked five times, but stayed uh, stayed alive enough to. Uh, to to throw throw a bunch of touchdowns, he did unfortunately also throw one interception and, of course, lost a fumble that uh, was returned in overtime by Carlos Dansby for the game winning score. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. Yes, it was a face mask. So at the time, that was the most points <laughs> scored in a was it in any game or just a playoff game? I think playoff oh, I have game, no idea. I think the all time game is like over a hundred points. Jesus, uh, it was wasn't it a Monday night game that we were involved in? Oh. Crazy Googling to commence now. <laughs> this is this is the best bye week podcast. Washington. This is really well structured, well structured yes. stuff by us. Um, this is this is a recording of the embodiment of men will just sit around and name. It's random the Devin Aroma should do podcast. Yes, <laughs> we're just naming stats and then Paul believe. Googles them. Most points we should... is uh, Giants um, losing to Washington seventy-two to forty-one in nineteen sixty-six. Oh, Jesus I thought that might be Theismann era, but that's not. That's not. Yeah. Bummer. So, Paul, let me ask you, what is the most points scored in a four-way race for a random playoff tiebreaker in the 90s? <laughs> we promised. <laughs> we promised we wouldn't bring up more points 99. More points 99. Come on. Come on. That was, a, that was a roundabout enough way to bring it up. Uh, so I did a little deep dive into the, like I mentioned earlier, the uh, the media guide. And I found some names, some names that really uh, that really blew me away for some various individual individual things. So I'm going to go ahead with that because I don't know. We, we can come back to some of this other stuff, yeah. but we should probably just get to the questions soon. True. Um, so Vonnie Holiday had five sacks in a game. That is uh, that is the most in Packers history. Several people have four plus. Bryce Pop has four and a half. Um, By the way, really quick, before we actually did the podcast this evening, Tex just yeah. tweeted about um, how guys consider around just naming some guys. And yeah. uh, Vani Holiday and Sam Congato were both mentioned multiple times oh, yes. in that. Excuse thread. me, that would be Dr. Sam Congato? Yes. I have a theory that if, if for those who play that game of sitting around naming former Packers, I have a theory that Sam Congato is the most named. I name. think you're right. I agree with that. There's some serious belovedness with with the Sam Congato experience, and why not? I mean, great story. It worked out great. The, the, the Packers he, team wasn't very good, but it's okay. He became an ENT man, like that. I know. Um, anyway, Vonnie Holiday, Buffalo, December twenty second, two thousand two, had five sacks in a game. Um, Bryce Pop had four and a half and ninety one. Alfonso Carricker, Tim Harris, <laughs> among the guys with only uh, four. Love Tim Harris. What's Atari, is Atari Bigby on this list? You you added I, him. I to... added Atari Bigby because he had two interceptions in a game. Uh, 
a fairly important game once. Um, I, sorry, I was looking for tight end records. Um, and oh. uh, I, I, I always liked Atari Bigby, and uh, I, I think that it's crazy that he actually played well enough to have two picks in a game at some point. So just wanted to mention him you as know, a guy. T- ten I mean, years from now, people are going to talk about haha Clinton Dix like that. Yeah, I suppose you're no, right. They don't. He, like, we'll make sure. They're like, hey man, during the <laughs> we'll run the table, sure <laughs> during the run the table year, he had two picks in the Bears game. I remember Sorry. the Vonnie Holiday five sack game very well too. <laughs> and just thinking, he's going to be just phenomenal, like a Hall of Fame level um, defensive player. And Vonnie Holiday was very, very good. But man, yeah. did he taper off quickly? Um, I feel like he was just not a long lived. He burned bright for a brief time. Okay, name a random Packer who is not of note. Perry Kemp. I love Perry Kemp. He's not of note, so it's a good call. John Crockett. From my, North Dakota State. My favorite. He, he was the starting running back in the uh, uh, Miracle of Motown. <laughs> yeah. Where, where we got a little come up and through the face mask issue from the, two, the you know, yeah, there you the 20, true, 2009 series. Yeah. Mine in the thread was DeMond Parker, uh, a running back of little note who had a 120-yard game or 113-yard game once. But my favorite is Jerry Holmes, who weighed 110 pounds soaking wet as a cornerback for the 80s Packers. <laughs> and if you see Incredible. highlights of the 80s Packers, it just looks like he's going to get broken in half as soon as he touches anybody. <laughs> like like Marty and not another team movie. <laughs> yes, so, like, like that. <laughs> here's a, a morbid real-world thing that has to do with this Remember Some Guys fascination, and Perry Kemp is the name I brought up. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about someone getting broken <laughs> No, we were we were discussing in the office when is the appropriate time to do like a full-fledged obituary of a player when the player passes away. And in many cases, there's there's the obvious ones. There's the stars or players that people will remember. And then there's guys who were on like like in the last 15 years or whatever, a name that people are going to remember just because they're not that old and it's notable that they died in their 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. And then there's like these in-between guys where where and I don't even remember the player that we were discussing. I think we ultimately did write about him. So we could probably look that up. I, I don't know. But like I brought Perry Kemp. Like if Perry Kemp dies, I hope he hope, you know, knock on wood or whatever. I have no, no idea what no he's curses doing with on life. Perry Kemp here. That's no curses on Perry Kemp. You know, would we write about it? So it's it's it was like we were kind of challenging ourselves to kind of find what the threshold is for for obituary. I think you probably with the Packers could get away with this guy played literally like six snaps in you know 1990 and people would read about it True. but uh but it was sort of a sort of a little bit of an interesting thought experiment to kind of find out like you know when 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 are they considered sort of like packers like kind of legend and, kind of not legends yeah. but you know sub interesting packers so right perry kemp the, i think sir, i would count him he he played a lot and has yeah yeah he gets an obituary yeah. let's do it absolutely so, on the flip side if someone of note passes away who uh, isn't necessarily looked upon fondly. Do you eulogize them? Well, like if Darren Sharper is that yes, what you're going with? Okay, uh, Darren Sharper or someone who actually has passed away, Charles Martin. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I I think Darren Sharper you write about because his crimes are so heinous. He 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 bears mention for that yeah, from a journalistic standpoint. Yeah, yeah I don't know about Charles Martin though. Like yeah. I, I don't know. So he passed away in 05. So I don't right. know. If... I yeah, I have no idea. If... I wasn't I wasn't there then, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they did. <laughs> they probably wrote about it. I was a young JR. Just yes, I was covering it. prep sports, <laughs> covering high school sports in the suburbs, baby. All right, media guide curiosities. Here we go. Individual rushing leaders in a game. The fifth most rushing yards for any Packers player in a game is Najee Davenport. Who yeah. Is 
speaking of players known for things other than what they did on the football field, <laughs> Najee Davenport, 178 yards against the Rams in 2004, fifth most in Packers history. There is no one on earth who could have told you that without looking. That's my that's nope, my take. I think on you're that. right. Rams again too. I remember that oh game though. God. I remember thinking he's gonna just take off and be good for a long time, and he wasn't. Does, does his career Sad. survive? Like like if that happened today, if somebody goes to if the you, if in you, someone's closet, if he broke into a girl's dorm room and pooped in her closet, yeah, does does his career survive if that happens today? I think so. I think the fact of what actually occurred is so. I, I think being so out of it that you do that mitigates your intent a bit. Like it's creepy <laughs> if you break into a woman's dorm room. You should not. That you should be charged criminally a lot for that. Um, I feel like if you poop in a random room, you're probably just drunk off your gourd, and mm. you know that. Not that it's good, but it's it's different. <laughs> Look, whom whomst among us hasn't pooped I'm, in a I'm random? I'm not doing whomst among us for that. <laughs> but but it does. Bear, there, everybody's got a story. For yep. those who went to college, everyone has a story of somebody who did something similar to that. Yes, because I don't want to diminish. Time. I don't want to diminish how terrible it is for some someone to break into a woman's dorm room. Like that's terrifying in and of yes. itself. It's just <laughs> that. The activity that took place, you know, indicates that he, he was just not aware of what he was doing. Yes. That's all. One, one time my roommate in college got drunk and got lost on his way back from the shower. Like, I it mean, happens. That's <laughs> a whomst among us situation. <laughs> we could we could do that one. Uh, tenth, by the way, individual rushing. Billy Grimes. Billy, Billy Grimes, Grimes. From 1950, I... <laughs> read for 167 yards against, I believe it was at the New I think the New York Yankees at the time um, was the name of the football team. Who's Billy Grimes? <laughs> no idea. An <laughs> old guy. Is, Billy... <laughs> is, is he related to Mike Grimes? I'm pretty sure not. His Wikipedia page is a paragraph. And it looks like he was drafted by the Bears in 1949. Wikipedia is trusted, which of course it is. Of it's course. the source of all knowledge. Yes. Um, ended up in the dispersal draft in 1950. Played for three years. <laughs> went to the Pro Bowl. Good for him. After the 50-51 season. That was that. He was out. Good old that. grimy. Oklahoma. Yeah, see, I, I made a Simpsons reference, and yeah. I feel like it went over the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by the um, way, Najee Davenport never had 500 yards rushing in a season. No shit. So he had he had a game with almost 200, and he didn't break 500 that year. That's right. Oh my god, it's pretty wild. Um, individual passing leaders we already mentioned: Matt Flynn against Detroit, January one, twenty twelve. Heck yeah, <laughs> thirty one completions. Uh, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers then finally matched him, which I'm sure I'm sure he took it as a personal affront. I know they had a really good relationship, but uh, a couple years uh, the the following year, like September September fifteenth. Of 2013, he he matches him. Lynn Dickey still in the top ten with uh with 418 yards on a game in 1980, and Don Horn, Don Horn, 410 in uh, December of 1969. Who is Don Horn? The 1969 Packers are still decent. Who is Don Horn? Just a guy. Um, <laughs> so one of okay, I'm assuming I'm assuming you can look it up quickly. In the game where Rodgers threw for six touchdowns in the first oh, half goodness. against the Bears. Yeah, uh, was it the Bears? That was the Vikings. Was, no, it was Bears. It was Bears. Um, and then went out and threw a couple incompletions in the second half, trying to get the seven touchdowns. Um, how many yards did he have in the first half, or for the game? In, in I guess in in the game because he got sat like five minutes into the third. Hold quarter. on, I can't actually do this quite quickly. 
Uh, let's and see. That's going to be passing TDs. There we go. Uh, against the Bears, he had six. Um, he had 18. He was 18 to 27 for 315. And six. Three, he had three fifteen yeah. and two and, then, and a quarter quarter. So yeah, his, incredible. his other six do- touchdown performance against uh, the Texans. He was twenty four of thirty seven for three thirty eight. So that the Texans game that was a uh, JJ Watt mocking the belt. Yeah, I believe it was. was like, it was the undefeated Texans. Like the Packers went in and just murder stomped them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I believe that is exactly what happened. One forty two. We haven't seen 24. the belt in a while. We haven't seen the belt in quite some time. Didn't we see it last year? We might have. I, I think so, because I think I wrote a, a, a comprehensive breakdown of all the players who have mocked the belt and how the outcome went for them, um, which I, I don't remember exactly if I wrote that last year or the year before. I know for the most part, it does not end well for players who mock the belt. In some cases, it has. I don't remember if it was like lopsided one way or the other. It's I, I believe it's uh, four bad, two good. Oh, I think Something. there were more. I think there's more instances than that okay. um but i don't know uh, anyway don horn started five games in 1969 even though bart Starr was still on the team and uh, individual receiving leaders in the game billy houghton number one overall 257 yards against the rams just keep coming up uh this was in october of 1956 only seven receptions 257 yards can you imagine that track meet <laughs> for billy houghton what a ride billy houghton at least is a name i think a lot of people yeah, know Billy Houghton was good yeah hey, jr yeah can you name the <laughs> top three players with receptions over the age of 40 in the Packers franchise history no in, in all of the NFL oh well, absolutely it, not I know I, it, it, it might bring it's Jerry Rice Brett Favre and oh Tom Brady I see or something Tom like Brady. That. yes yes it's, yes, it's okay. actually uh Favre past Brady or uh Brady past Brady Favre. past Favre. okay so so it's uh yeah so it's Jerry Rice has like a hundred Tom Brady has like three and Brett Favre has one yep <laughs> by the way when Aaron has uh, four touchdowns or more in a game. They are thirty and three, um, which is pretty good. Uh, I feel like when you do throw that many passes, you're usually trying to come back, and that's not the case with them. Um, lost to Atlanta, lost to the Vikings, and lost to the Panthers. All right. Uh, what else did you guys want to discuss before we get to questions and dig into this game a little bit? Not too much. I did. I think we should mention that Baker Mayfield exists and is on the Rams. Uh, and uh, like I don't want to no talk about kidding. the Rams too much because they are awful and hurts and uh, suffering the consequences of their cap actions to win the Super Bowl last year and don't have Matthew Stafford who can't throw anymore. But uh, Baker Mayfield had a really really kind of sad Cinderella story game last Thursday, uh, leading a comeback on a 98 yard drive to win 17-16 over the Raiders, <laughs> and everybody was like, "Baker's our hero," but you know they scored 17 points against a really crappy Raiders right, team. But, but also, it, it can't go understated that Baker had literally been in the building for 48 Fair, hours. True. He'd been claimed off waivers to protect the 49ers. He knew six plays. To keep him off the 49ers, which they're probably happy about right now. Two questions. Yep. Is, that, is this year's Rams team, the Packers' 2023 team? And if so, who ends up getting signed midseason next year <laughs> to lead the Packers to an after, inconsequential victory? It might after, be. Uh, after OBJ gets left out all year because of his ACL not healing and also his shenanigans on an airplane, yeah, uh, he will be a November signing for the Green Bay Packers. I like it. Maybe, I like it. Maybe Antonio Brown will finally come out of his house. <laughs> is he still in there? As far as I know. My gosh. I assume is, it'll is be news some, like, when he's out. This is some R. Kelly trapped in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> and then I pulled out my gun. <laughs> 
my gosh. I don't want to get um, I think my point, the Rams suck. We, if we lose this game, we should forfeit next year too. That's uh, It should yeah. be very severe. All the playoff scenarios that I concocted for jsonline.com, which you can check out if you'd like, uh, they they assume that the Packers win all the games. There's just nothing, you know, it's 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 just not realistic if they don't win out if right. they win their last four games. And again, well, like the Packers have, I would I would say maybe like a half to three quarters quality wins this year, like like dominant wins this year. They they haven't beaten anybody convincingly. Even nope. the Bears, it's been it's been iffy. So I don't know if this is even so. My my favorite thing about this scenario is people are all like. There is no way that you're going to beat Miami on the road. Oh, geez. They'll beat Miami on the road. They're just going to lose to the Lions at home, you know? (laughs) Well, the thing about the Miami on the road is they appear to have been figured out. But the problem is, is will Joe Barry use the roadmap? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, that's the problem. People have figured out the the Dolphins, but Joe Barry hasn't figured out anything. Like, uh, Joe Barry is still writing up plays using one of those vibrating magnetic football (laughs) teams. I'm surprised he gets both legs of his pants on every morning. Uh, interesting note, though. I think it was Peter Bukowski who suggested it. If if Hackett and, and the Denver Broncos, who've had just a nightmare year, if they decide, okay, oopsie, we did that wrong, we're going to clean house and start over, that might make uh, Giro available as a possible defensive coordinator candidate. They could get yeah. a do-over. He's it, he's getting a lot of uh, smoke as a head coach candidate. I know. Yeah, I, I just know. don't see him coming back to the Packers after they passed him over. Um, but maybe you never know. Football's weird. Mm, it's true. Same with Jim Leonard. Yep. Don't know. Uh, don't know what's happening there, but it <laughs> makes too much sense to actually happen. So so we'll see. How how far is it from Madison to Green Bay? Oh, uh, a couple hours. Uh, yeah, two hours maybe. So it's not not insurmountable. No, it's it's not pleasant though. It's a bad drive. <laughs> Look, you're talking to a man who spends half his time driving to and from yeah, Kansas so you, you for know, five hours. You know how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like that, to be honest. It's that kind of driving. All right. Shall we do the questions? Uh, I have one one very, very quick last Bring thing. Bring it. Uh, so Bring it. you have a bunch of busts. We don't have to talk about all of them, but one of them is Brian Brom, who I liked a lot. And I was curious about if my metrics would be able to tell if Brian Brom was actually crappy. And they kind of can. So he was uh, he was good. At, I ran uh, Quoba for 2007. Uh, Tim Tebow, by the way, is number one, as he should be, because he's a good college quarterback. Uh, then Sam Bradford. And he got some other names. But um, Brian Brown was ninth, which is pretty good. But he threw so many interceptions. Like, goodness. Uh, just looking at that, I would have had him off my board, I think. Like, Caleb Haney's right below him. He also threw a lot of interceptions. Um, too careless with the ball. Should have Should have done this back in the day. Well, you're, I'm sorry, you're all bus team that we absolutely skipped over. We should totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I didn't know. I thought we could maybe one version of this podcast would be just drafting the busts, <laughs> the all-time Packers busts. Um, <laughs> be, I decided that was mean-spirited in addition to probably not being great radio, but I don't know. Um, this is just since 2000. All right, so. let's just really quick one each. Who's your most hated um, bust on this list? Not hated as a person, but like... Who, right. who most disappointed however you want to define it so i don't i mean it's hard to blame justin harrell for getting hurt yes but at the same time it's it's always the guy that everyone is clamoring for on draft day saying don't draft justin harrell he's gonna get hurt or he has some serious injury red flags and then that's exactly what happens and and if i recall that draft isn't very good i don't know if there were like ser- i'm sure there was a better player available but like 
there there wasn't some obvious misses in that area of the draft. It's yeah. just they drafted Justin Harrell and it went exactly how people thought it would go. You know, like no one thought Derek Sherrod was going to break his leg. You know, Terrence Murphy's on this list. He had a massive neck injury, but everyone thought that Justin Harrell was going to get hurt. And then it was like, why? Why didn't you just listen to the Twitter? You know, like the, I don't think I think that's pre-Twitter. But why didn't you just listen to the people? And uh, and it ended up going that way. So so that's a tough one. And that's similar to the Kevin King situation. It's always tough when it goes exactly how how the the clamoring people think it's going to go. Boy and how, Matt, do you have a least favorite? Uh, Josh Jackson, mm. a, a solid pick uh, on my list as well. Uh, similar to what I said, like he yeah. he couldn't play he couldn't play in the NFL because of how he. He's so physical, and it absolutely bore fruit. Yep. Yeah. I, I think mine's probably Quentin Rollins along the same lines, um, who like had to I convert just, positions, and it was but a, like nobody, nobody had Quentin Rollins on the board, and Ted Thompson's like, we almost took him in the first. And yeah. I was like, who the hell are you talking? It was about? the era of weird, weird Ted stuff, and yeah. uh, that you know, it's just when you see it happening in in real life, in live time as it goes on, it's like. They're just pissing away value right now. Why are they doing this? Like, so just- there's a couple on the list that it's impossible to hate, in my opinion. Like Alex Green um, has oh, had yeah. a pretty pretty substantial journey back from substance abuse. Yep. Um, Jason Spriggs, I don't think anybody thought he was going to be as bad as he was. Uh, he at least the, fits sort of their profile there and just didn't work out. Those well, guys his, work out sometimes. And and Jason Spriggs, like as I've said many 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 times, just lives with a five hundred ping between his brain and his body. <laughs> yeah, just, there's a half second delay between his head and his body. Um, but uh, Dayton Jones, I think uh, him being a tweener and playing for Capers is what ruined his career. I think he would have been great for someone else. Yep, that's very possible. I uh, have a soft spot for Draw Worthy because I really I had been convinced by whatever I was reading that he was going to be a great opportunity, a great guy in the first round. Packers did not take him in the first round. I think they, they took Nick Perry, and I was I was just overjoyed that they got Jarrell Worthy in the second round. I thought the guy was going to be phenomenal out of Michigan State. You know, he tore it up in the Big Ten, and then of course he does nothing. So uh, so I always feel like eh, that one that one got he- me too. Didn't he hang around forever? I feel like he was a lion like last year. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't think so. But oh, I'm thinking of Kyrie Thornton. Oh, that could be. Yep, Kyrie Thornton, third round. His number one mock draftable comp, if memory serves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Kyrie Thornton out of LSU. One of the uh, him and Lawrence Guy. I think it was a sixth or seventh rounder who's still uh, playing on Monday Night Football as we speak with the New England Patriots. Like incomprehensibly, (laughs) like a decade later, still has a quality NFL career. Um, and yeah, the most recent one on this list is Amari Rogers, who just played. Was that a Sunday night game that we saw? Scored, scored, okay. outscored Devontae in fantasy. I want, I want to mention unbelievable the Amari Rogers catch. Okay, so so everyone is pointing at this Amari Rogers touchdown, like like oh, the Packers really let one go. And it's like when you let Amari Rogers go, it allows people like Christian Watson to get more time on the field. <laughs> So he can go off and score six touchdowns in three weeks. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I just the oh. fact that the Packers let go their sixth or seventh wide receiver on the depth chart, who is a liability on special teams, and then he goes out and scores a touchdown for a team that's one ten and one. I don't care. Don't care. Yeah, it doesn't tell you anything about anything. You had one note about Daryl Thompson. This is before two thousand, of course. 
uh, drafted in the 1990 draft, I believe. Uh, yes. And you and you you pointed out that he may have been a bust, but this is a pretty sensational draft for yeah. the Green Bay Packers overall. Yeah. Everybody else. Uh, so Daryl Thompson um, was, I think, sort of the quintessential don't draft a running back high running back. He played four years at Minnesota. He had like a thousand yards every year. That's a lot of wear and tear on a guy. Um, but uh, And they picked him in the first round and there were lots of good people that they could have picked instead. Uh, and he was a terrible, terrible pro. Um, so I do consider him a giant bust, but uh, this draft overall was like awesome for them. It's like Bryce Pop and he's one of the worst ones. I'm trying to pull it up right now, but my computer's yeah, going no, really so, slow. So Tony Bennett is taken directly before Daryl Thompson. Yeah, they're so back the to back. Go back right. to back. And Bennett, of course, quality, quality player who ended up signing a big deal, I believe, with the Colts. Leroy Butler is taken in the second round. That worked out, you know, Hall of Famer and stuff. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Bobby Houston not didn't really leave an imprint. Jackie Harris, Jackie the Harris tight end, though. Good. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, like quality tight end for a long time. Then uh, round five, Charles Wilson didn't do anything. But round six, there's Bryce Pop. Yep. Who uh, I wouldn't say is one of the. I mean, that, that's a that's a great. That, that's a great get at that point. Point of in the course, draft. he was yeah. awesome. He ends up becoming an NFL Defensive Player of the Year with the Bills, yep. but uh, but was really effective for the Packers too. Lester Archambault, who wasn't a nobody. I mean, it, you don't put him on a like a short list of anything, but he uh, he gets taken. And then I think well, this is back when it's twelve <laughs> ridiculous rounds. Kirk Baumgartner, but I don't know if there's yeah I don't think anybody else really stuck. But still, that's a good draft. That's a good draft. Well done, Packers. Well done, guys. Did you get? Let me looking at the list of uh, of undrafted free agents. I don't see anybody interesting here either. But yeah, uh, yeah good stuff. Um, all right, let's get to questions. Let's do it. Hey, Jr. Who's the first question? Oh, there. Oh, I uh, really quick. There is one undrafted free agent of note. Uh, John Yurkovic wasn't. Just <gasps> no not, way. I not, missed him. Not by the Packers though. Of by the Miami Dolphins. Interesting. Yep. I did not remember Jerkovic playing for anyone before the Packers, but yes, that works out mm-hmm. quite nicely. Um, ooh, John Randall, undrafted free agent, Hall yeah. of Famer, Hobart, Hall of Famer. So John do, you, do you know Randall. the story of of John Randall faking weight? No. So when he when he was at the Vikings training camp, they're like, "You need to put on like thirty pounds," and he, I guess, like the the rumor is that he wore like. Uh, cast iron pants under his sweatsuit. <laughs> oh my gosh! So so he could make weight because he was legitimately playing like 15, 20 pounds lighter than his listed weight. Wow, that would and slow in, down. Yeah. So this was in a time when you had to be three hundred and thirty pounds to play on the defensive line. Yeah. Um, well, it worked out. Yeah. 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 It did. So they made weight. They signed him and the whole thing. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was a football life or someone went over it, but yeah, John Randall claims to have like cheated the scale. He could have borrowed some from Tony Siragusa, another undrafted free agent. Uh, may he rest in peace. But uh, that, that another... is a, that's a whole lot of dude. Tony, <laughs> that Siragusa. is a whole lot of dude coming out of Pittsburgh. Um, I didn't realize Pittsburgh played an independent schedule at the time, but okay. Mark Putscarby, he is our Helen Thomas, our and all patrons, of course, shocked. get uh, shocked. All of our patrons get question priority. If Jordan Love were to request a trade in the offseason, and there have been rumblings of this, mm-hmm. how do you think the Packers would handle it, and how do you think they should handle it? Well, I think they would handle it poorly. <laughs> <laughs> they would find a way to screw it up. Um, it's, this is a tricky one because yeah. they uh, first of all, it, it depends hugely on what Rodgers does, but if he decides to come back and he has all the cards to do that, I think they've got to entertain it because they're and even if Jordan Love is good, 
they're entering the era of his career where he's no longer a bargain. Like it's it's the fourth year, they they can do the the fifth year option, but they're running out of bargain Jordan Love time. And if he's not really 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 good, that no longer conveys value to you, and you have to have a plan to move on. So um, I suspect they look at all options if that comes to fruition, and they do maybe try and move him, but they don't have to. And I, they they're not the not the nicest, touchiest, feeliest front office in the league. So uh, I, I suspect that they might just keep him around if they can't find any suitors for him and try again the next year. Yeah, and I don't know. Does that? I don't know if that plays in how they should handle it. How they You're should? Right, um, I think you got to start actually considering offers if you got Rogers back next year. Um, How you absolutely should handle it is the moment that you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, you should sit Rogers and you should see what you have in Jordan Love and you should do what you can to increase his trade value and or figure uh, out what's going on here. Yeah. But but but, uh, they're not going to do any of that. Yeah. And and being so far past the good parts of the rookie deal, it's if you can get value for him, you probably should. Uh, he's probably not going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's probably his ceiling's probably fine, good. Um, so it's okay to do that, and that's what they should okay. do. Okay. Do you believe he is above the Dalton line? Uh-huh. I, I wouldn't bet on it, but I haven't seen that much. I want to see more. All right, Big Rig asks the popular Packers Twitter theory that Rodgers does not want to share the Hall of Fame stage <laughs> with Brady, combined with Rodgers' insistence in the spring that he was coming back this season, and to ignore the contract terms. Now the rumblings of suddenly single Brady's free agent options this summer, including San Francisco, LOL. Is it starting to feel like Rodgers might actually retire this season? It's starting to feel more real. I do think the Brady thing is real just because it's hard to imagine. Like, <laughs> it, it is. Like, can you imagine Aaron Rodgers being second fiddle on a quarterback greatness show? Like, it's just hard. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he would. Maybe he'd be also, a mature adult about it. But also Tom Brady is exactly. Tom Brady is. <laughs> yeah, sure. would not. Tom Brady is absolutely coming back next year because he is out of money. You think is so? That, is that he, a real thing? He lost his shirt in FTX and his wife is taking him for a ride. Divorce like, does cost a lot of money. Tom, that is Tom Brady is having a very expensive year through investments and divorce. That that is that is certifiable. Isn't he signed to get paid a gazillion dollars to be? So a- that's the thing. The moment that he retires, he's guaranteed. I believe it's ten million a year from Fox. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Also, but it's not thirty million a year. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I think Brady's done after this year because he's not playing well, and I think that the choice will not be made for him. But. Um, you never know. San Fran- Kyle, Kyle might like that to, to see what you can do with Brady and the Shanny system. It's uh, <laughs> I think I think Tom Brady and the Shanny system plays for another six years with could. two yep. All Pros. <laughs> the thing is, though, if Brady does come back, so does that mean Rogers? If we again, we're assuming that he actually cares about this thing. Does that mean he has to play another year after that to to get out of Brady's crosshairs? Yes, or it he does. retires or, before Brady, or retire before Brady, right? Right, but I'm like I I I don't know if I can picture Aaron so, Rodgers like truly hanging him up after this season. I do half wonder, just in the dark recesses of my brain, if Tom Brady is planning to stick around just to mess with Rodgers a little bit. I, um, yeah, it's it, <laughs> because you know it's it just, just nonsense, but on the table. It is, so it's nonsense, but just as Rodgers doesn't want to be up there with Tom Brady, I'm sure that Tom Brady would you know relish 
having another all-time great, you know, below him on the stage too. <laughs> Man. Well, if Brady really is out of money, he should do what other legendary quarterbacks do. Just ask the Mississippi government for a little bit of a boost. Got this volleyball thing I'm going to build. Flaley Joel Osmond asks, if teams <laughs> offered a second round pick each for Stokes, Wyatt, or Walker, do you make that trade? When is the optimal time to try and reclaim value from a first round pick? Kevin King, A.J. Hawk, and Dayton Jones want to know. Ooh. AJ Hawk was a was a serviceable starter yeah, for twelve years. I, I will die on that hill. He's too. fine. Yeah. I will. I was. I'm with you on that. AJ Hawk was fine. He wasn't an all star, but like he was an average player. And you can you you need a lot of average players. They're hard to come by. Also, also AJ Hawk was a top five pick. I understand. Yeah, Kevin I King agree. was a second round pick, and Dayton Jones was at the end of the first round. Yeah. Those are not fair comparisons. Yeah, Hawk was given. I think the 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 five was held against him a it was. lot. It was. And, but also, and, Hawk played to his draft position until they moved to a three four Mm -hmm. right and again you know and even 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 without the system he's a linebacker like what is there's a ceiling there right like he's not but he's he's an brian urlacher he's an off-ball linebacker like if you're not brian urlacher you're a failure i guess yeah i guess i don't know so i would Uh, trade a second for stokes or walker at this point i think stokes i'm not totally sure on Uh, i think a good coordinator might fix him still but wyatt i think is good so not him uh, but uh, Walker, I think, was just way overdrafted. Give me that back. The injury to Stokes, too. We don't know what that's going to do. That is also true. Yes, there's some uncertainty there. But I like second round picks. I'll give a lot of value for second round picks. They're fun. They're not third Brian's round he... picks. Importantly, <laughs> that is true. Out of the dark, the dark, the dark place. Ryan Ziegler in two, 2024, the 49ers have an estimated 59 million in cap space. What's the plausible chance a trade gets done with San Francisco for Rodgers next year? San Francisco is likely to need a quarterback. They are allegedly Super Bowl ready. Seems like it might be the right move to get it done. I'll hang up and listen to your answers. Imagine Aaron Rodgers getting traded to his hometown team to play for a Super Bowl ready team with a phenomenal defense and a quarterback. uh, Good system only for him to check into RPOs that he's going to read before the snap. (laughs) Yep, again. (laughs) I, I mean, I do think the Peyton Manning recipe is there for him if, it is. if they were able to work that out. I think I the just Peyton don't Manning recipe is there, but I don't. Aaron Rodgers is no Peyton Manning. I'm sorry. Wow. In what way? In in the humility aspect where he. Lets... In the humility as well as Peyton Manning will read a defense after the snap as well as before. <laughs> Aaron's not as good as Peyton Manning. We should just put that out there. Like Peyton Manning was Aaron... a smarter quarterback, he was better across the board in all main range of statistics. Aaron um, has more arm. Peyton has more head. Yeah. More arm is... In, in, in two ways. <laughs> more arm does nothing for me. So, um, It is a plausible landing place for him, though. Like They can actually do that and make it work. And there's lots of reasons to think it would be attractive to Aaron, just in terms of location. So I think it's possible. I think uh, he, uh, people could be talked into making that happen. Uh, Patrick Detmer is asking about something I'm not aware of, so I'll let you guys <laughs> enlighten me. me. <laughs> is Big 12's RP Woe... The greatest athlete endorsed piece of electronic software <laughs> since Lee. Oh, this is your thing. Yes, since Lee Caravallo's putting challenge or perhaps Jerry oh, Glanville's love, pigskin football. I love Jerry Glanville's pigskin football. A legitimately I, fantastic game. I legitimately enjoyed Jerry Glanville's pigskin football. I can't say that like five times fast. Yeah, in fact, a, I was did Bo cute. Jackson promote Tech Mobile? Oh. No, he he just was so good that he became the face of it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, it, it is the greatest piece of athletes endorsed software since Lee Carvello's putting challenge. Yes, that's correct. Um, and, and Patrick, you've chosen Power Drive. <laughs> glad you enjoyed it. Uh, if if you've never played Jerry Glanville's Pigskin, by the way, it, it is fun. it's it's a really good game. Uh, highly recommend it. It's it's built on the Arch Rivals basketball system, uh, but it is Vikings playing football. If you get down by too much, you get a troll added to your team to even the score. If you get if you continue to be down, you get multiple trolls added to your team. It's good stuff. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, where can they check out the RP Woe? Oh, at Acme Packing Company for the buy last week. I wrote a Choose Your Own Adventure game. That's what that is. Uh, it is uh, a game where you attempt to help Aaron Rodgers correctly read an RPO, and then it devolves into um, something different. <laughs> <laughs> As all Choose Your Own Adventure stories do. Yes. Yeah, which is, honestly, Paul, was, was your last uh, Choose Your Own Adventure the Mike McCarthy three minute challenge or two minute challenge i had a bad one in between there so yes it was okay so i can't remember the bad one in between there but the mccarthy challenge was was quite good as well yeah that one that one i put a lot of time into this one is also i think pretty good so uh i will not be to calling this one bad in a couple of years i had i had lots of laughs with this one uh yeah you definitely should check that out all right here's our guy old man on a bike in shirlington <laughs> Just an old man on a bike whose wife told him his initial attempt at a comment this week was boring and that I too probably needed a bye week to come up with something more creative than I'm an old man on a bike. She may have a point, but I'll persist. What does the offseason look like? When can we expect to start receiving updates on the renewal of Rogers Green Bay Country Club membership and whether his cleaning service is doing upkeep on the Green Bay house? <laughs> okay, first of all, old man on a bike in Shirlington. I repudiate your wife's remarks in fact i am recalcitrant to them you are hilarious and original and i enjoy your comments every week so thank you for starting everything with i'm an old man on a bike are and you gonna answer second, the question okay yeah and then the, ruling the question, on how i feel like recalcitrant never mind go ahead <laughs> recalcitrant is uh to rebel against right isn't that yeah i feel like to, maybe i don't know it, go ahead go ahead go ahead <laughs> <laughs> also, I, uh, I believe it. this is a reference to the Facebook group talk, yes? You guys remember when the will he, won't he retire? And then people were like, Aaron Rodgers just renewed his golf club membership. <laughs> this yes. happens to every major athlete it when does. it's a will he or won't he situation. Major it's like, athlete. oh, he was found, he hired a, you know, like a, a person to look at houses with in California and whatever. It's, it's all. And, and honestly, the to me, the answer is the moment that they are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs is when we go back to Rogers watch. Absolutely. And it will be excruciating until he retires. So that's. Uh, he, he likes and it will be excruciating until the season officially starts yeah. after he retires. Absolutely, he likes messing with people. He does not like to hustle himself along. Yeah, that's a. It's that. a generational Packers fan thing. You know, you just you, everyone goes through it. Yep, <laughs> every, every cycle. It's how we learn. Look, you've got you've got Brett Favre who can take you to the Super Bowl, and Aaron Rodgers who will take you to the toilet bowl. <sighs> All right. Do we have any other answers on this, or go, moving on? PJ Wessels. PJ. <laughs> PJ Wessels, what uh, is your Packers-themed partridge in a pear tree, 12 Days of Christmas? That's uh, his first question. Second question, is the platonic ideal of the Shani LaFleur offense what we saw in San Francisco versus Tampa Bay, plugging in Brock Purdy and scoring 35 points? <laughs> uh, part two first. Yes, yes, that's exactly correct. That's what's supposed to happen. And Brock Purdy is just a guy with not much arm who's pretty accurate and he just ran the offense and was mobile, and that's how it's supposed to work. That's just how it works. If Aaron would just do that, it'd be fine. 
and I I had to answer this question for the tailgate, and uh, I skipped over to number two, and I was skipping and missed that I have to think of a partridge in a pear tree. Uh, uh, shoot. You know, read, read through the roster and look for last names that rhyme with E again. <laughs> yeah, is- I got nothing off the top of my head, man. Too late. Too late at night. Hannah Watkins backflip after TD and sixty million dollars of salary cap relief. <laughs> How about that? Uh, all right. Well, while you guys are working on that, I'm just going to go with that. Honestly, uh, let's uh, let's do Mattingly sideburns. <laughs> I'm just a pair of non-existent sideburns on a former Yankees MVP. <laughs> Wondering where our $360 million contract was back in the late 80s. As we contemplate multi-year deals, it has got me thinking, what are the three best multi-year non-rookie contracts currently on the Packers' books? Best for who? That's the question. Yeah, Probably team-friendly is what he Yeah, I assume team-friendly. Let's go to Kenny. I was going to say Kenny, probably. Kenny, probably, yeah. I know he's had a bad year, but he's still, you know, he gets gets a little bit of a buy, in my opinion. With you on that. Pass. Non-rookie. I'm like trying to think. Isn't Preston's not actually too bad? Preston's isn't too bad. With I believe it has an exploding last year. Okay. Um. Also, by the way, Maddington Madding Lee's sideburns uh, is also his Twitter handle, and he follows the bit. So <laughs> I like it. It's commitment. Excellent. That's good. Um. Other non-rookies, man. What's Randall Cobb getting paid? <laughs> I thought he was a uh, like a two-year deal. In terms of three-year deals, I truly don't know who's on the team who's not a rookie or on a rookie deal. <laughs> I feel like they're all kind of either rookie deals or bad other than... Um, when does Amos deal retire or re- resign? Whatever the hell. <laughs> Whatever his deal is, he's getting paid too much. Cut. <laughs> Cobbs is fine. I mean, Cobbs, Cobbs, Cobbs contract is super team friendly. That's one of the answers is that. Yeah. And I mean, you probably take Rashawn Gary at 415, although, or 416. Isn't that still his rookie hurt. deal? He hasn't been extended yet. Oh, I see. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's yes. the hard part. Like every time I think of a good deal, it's like, oh, that guy's still a rookie. Shoot. Yeah. And like Alan um, Lazard's on a tag. Like, does that well, mean- I mean, like, this isn't the spirit of the exercise, but Mercedes is getting paid probably what he deserves. <laughs> Two years, six million. Like that seems about right. I, I like know. it. I like it. Yeah, this is tough. There are so many rookie deals. <laughs> yeah, so the Adrian, team is the team is either old and overpaid yeah, or young. Amos is a free agent at the end of the year, but he has a, a whole bunch of void years. So I don't even know what to do with that. So they're going to be paying Amos for the next three years, even though he's not on the team. Yes, that. It's not a. It, it's not. It's Bobby savage. Bonilla Day. <laughs> Every day is Bobby Bonilla Day when you're a Packer fan. <laughs> Honestly, Pat O'Donnell's two million, two year, four million dollar deal is probably on the list, there which tells you yep. everything you need to know about where the Packers are right that now. That is correct. And <laughs> with that, we've got it. All right, K time seven. Happy bye week. Let's get some Tosa talk. Jr., what is your favorite bar in Wauwatosa, and why is it Less Lucky Town? I mean, it's less lucky town. <laughs> it's the premier. That is the premier Tosa sports bar, uh, covering high school sports. It's pretty cool to, uh, you know, to have have a bar right across the street from a high school game. It's kind of cool that you can just sort of see the lights and bask in that on a Friday night. Have have a brew, watch the local teams play, and uh, 
a lot going on at Hart Park down there. So, uh, so yeah, that's a good one. On my my street, there's a little dive called Walters. Walters. I won't say that I love it. I don't love it, but uh, that is absolutely a, uh, you a can, perfect. You can it, it's a, it's a really good bar. You can still smell the smoke in the suspended ceiling tiles. You sure can. Uh, yeah, it's hey, I love me a good drop ceiling, man. Yep. Um, my favorite, by the <laughs> way, for what it's worth, is the Ray's Growler Gallery, which is where. Oh, my, of course. My wife and I go so whenever times, we're in dude. town. So, I'm trying to remember where I went to lunch in Wauwatosa when I was there. You went the to Cafe Hollander. Cal- Almost, Cafe Hollander. It was Cafe yeah. Hollander. That's where, I, I, that's where I was taken. I don't know anything about Wawa. That's not a bar per se, but like the Belgian beer man, I could. That is absolutely my favorite selection of beer in town and ever, ever. Cafe Hollander is my favorite beer ever because I am just all in on Belgium. So uh, why am I being laughed at, Paul? Is this a bad? No, 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 it, no. It's, it's like literally a Wauwatosa stereotype. To you, it, you were in town. Of course, you went to cafe. <laughs> Your friends took you to the Cafe Hollander in the village of Wauwatosa to show you how nice it is on the river and how good the beer is there. And uh, that's that's what happens to everybody. That was that was a quaint little area. Yes, I enjoyed it? my time. Man, I love Wauwatosa. I love it here. Unironically, unironically, I love this town. I love where we live. I love our neighborhood. It's pretty cool to have like two distinct sort of walkable uh, neighborhoods with bars and restaurants in the same suburb. Like that's unusual. It's very good. It's like we have two Brady Streets. It is like you have two Brady Streets. It's, uh, it's great. The Village and North Avenue, two different but uh, but connected locations. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. We are done with Patreon questions, yep. but Twitter, let's go to Ryan. Going to the game this Monday night, where should I go beforehand? I was looking at Badger State Brewery, but wondering if there are any other suggestions. I tapped so, uh, the APC people for this because I actually have no good answer to this. Maybe you guys have better ones than I do because uh, I'm always, I've always been a tailgater. I occasionally go to Kroll's to get a burger, but uh, I, I'm not an aficionado on the restaurants and bars around there because during games, there are just tents set up across from the stadium everywhere. Um, however, the consensus was Sammy's Pizza. Um, yeah. So hmm. that is the, the answer that everybody gave, and uh, I can second that. I went to there after a Falcons game once. Their pizza is even pretty good. So so the, the move for Sammy's Pizza is it's 20 bucks to park there, and then they also hand you a gift card for $20. And we should so say, can, this is what has, has happened recently. We shouldn't speak to what they might Yeah, I shouldn't speak to if it happens still. But So this is what has been the, the, the history. It, going back multiple years, that's how it works. Um, they go in and spend the $20 that you were going to spend parking on pizza, have some good pizza, then go over to Lot 1 and tailgate with everybody. Yep. I believe this is Ryan's question as well. Which team in the North has the best foundation for future success? The Lions. <laughs> I think it's the Lions, but it's it's hard to say exactly because quarterback's so uncertain for everybody. Like the Lions have think, a lot of good talent, but they still need to solve for that. And the Bears and, and, maybe have a good quarterback, but maybe not. And the Lions appear to be married to Goff, which is just not that's good. stupid. That I, I'll believe that. I don't when think I see that's it. true, though. Yeah, uh, I think they'll draft a quarterback in the next, in the and next draft. You, you keep him happy while he's on your team. Like that's fine. So. I being from Michigan, I'm pretty close with a lot of the pod guys, the Pride of Detroit. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them think that the team is going to stick with Goff. Really? I just and they're, they're all really? very wor- they're all very worried about it. Okay. But but here's the I mean, they have the Rams pick. They're going to get a top five pick yeah. and not even have to work for it. They'll be able to address whatever else they want defense later in the first round, probably a you know non playoff level pick. There's no excuse for them to not go quarterback if they're. In the I mean, top they five. they drafted Jeff Okuda at third. 
Yeah, I know they did. But, Jeff Okuda's good. That was a good pick. It, the injuries have kind of not worked out, but like he's that was that was before they were in the position they're in now. I know the, the Lions. position they're in now is we're one way. We're one. We're a quarterback, quarterback away. away. Being, like I know that the Lions have historically been stupid, but they can't be that stupid. Like golf has a long tenure of mediocrity. This is not someone you build the team around. Yeah, but he's isn't he like fifth in EPA per play or some like stupid? Uh, I don't think he is, but I will pull it up while the last question gets asked. We had a moment of absolute unbridled joy this week in football when Jamison Williams makes his first NFL reception. It's a touchdown. He's wide open on busted coverage. Why was he wide open? And the dude high-fiving everybody. I thought he was going to do like a Cal Ripken-esque lap around the stadium. He was so, so excited. Yeah. And uh, and that was really cool. And uh, just a reminder that the Lions have some weapons, and uh, they're going to be a problem. If they, they are. They're not an together. easy also, um, an easy win. Former Packers great Williams. Jamal. Um, Jamal Williams is in striking distance of Barry Sanders' franchise record for single-season touchdowns. Incredible. Um, Jamal Williams a little bit slower than Barry was. Goff is tied uh, for eighth in EPA per play. So he's a top 10 quarterback in terms of efficiency. They're not going to settle for that. They're done settling for stupid <laughs> stuff. I just, I just don't, CPO be- is I don't believe it. CPO 0.8, which is... Yeah, um, I can't. but they're like, they're top 10 DVOA, right? They're like seventh in DVOA. Yeah, their offensive line is good. They've gotten a lot of their their offense is fine. It, but and it's they just have a fine. they have a really good they have a really good tackle who can actually catch passes. Maybe it's, it's all, absolute zen, yes. absolute zen to see an offensive lineman make really the most critical catch of the game. Yeah. For the Detroit Lions. It that was, was third and seven, and he got nine because Zool. he dove. That is amazing. Just special stuff. Uh, CPOE, by the way, that is definitely a stat I know nothing about. I believe that's a lung condition. That's <laughs> all I have. For that. It is in the appendix to this. It, podcast, it is. It is. So we talked about codified CPOE. probability over expectation. It is not what the appendix Matt just said. Also <laughs> part of the human body. Yes. Also true. Uh, all right, KL Willis, <laughs> go ahead. There's cranky people outside of expectation. Mm-hmm. Okay. K.O. Willis, to close this down, what big Packers move will drop tomorrow? I assume he means... This is a reference Tuesday. to the, the Brewers. Um, oh. Because we, we recorded the tailgate on Sunday, and then they made a f- just a phenomenal trade today. <laughs> uh, Which uh, is funny because I posted my, my weekly screen cap, and we are all smiling and laughing for the first time maybe ever in the history <laughs> of this. Yes. And uh, everyone who follows me apparently follows baseball, like, and just wants me to know about baseball. Yep. And and uh, Enrico Palazzo uh, noted uh, phenomenal Major League Baseball yeah. uh, referee. Yes. Umpire uh, said that a good Brewers trade will do that, and I went, "A, a what?" <laughs> yeah. Um, trade is so good that I honestly like I can't even. I'm not sure I'm even like happy about it because it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make sense that the Brewers could give up so little to get so much. But uh, the Packers could make a move tomorrow. You know, they've tried it. They're trying guys out, you know, the post buy, like let's tweak some things and probably put some guys on the shelf. So there there could be something coming. It's not going to be like signing T.Y. Hilton or anything. But uh, didn't he? He just got signed, right? Yeah, he did. Made some money with Dallas Cowboys. Not bad. But uh, yeah, they're not bringing in OBJ or anything like that. They're not. All right, we're done. Uh, that's right? it, baby. That's it. The bye week is over. Yep, Let's finish this work. thing. Four more weeks. Four, four, four and zero oh finish to the year, and uh, cash in on that three percent chance to get into the playoffs. Heck yeah, so, Jr. Yeah, you you seem to be the king of the how the Packers get in. I guess yes. What what can happen this week to eliminate them? 
Uh, you know, so I didn't go the other way, but quite honestly, if they lose, so if they if they lose, they I don't think they can be eliminated completely because the Giants and the Commanders play, <laughs> play each other. Each other. That's right. <laughs> so one of those teams will be guaranteed to finish ahead of them, the winner, and then the loser will be on the doorstep, need just a winner tied to to finish things off, or a Packers loss, of course. Yeah. Uh, and Seattle still be eh, they could still tie Seattle. But I haven't run the numbers on the tiebreakers. Uh, I know that I know what happens with Seattle in the current if the Packers win out, and what the tiebreakers would look like. I don't know what they look like this week if Seattle wins and Green Bay loses. Possible they're eliminated, but either way, death's door. Death's so. door, right there. All right. Uh, any any plugs for either of y'all? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, obviously, the tiebreakers thing. There'll yep. be some Brewers coverage. My emergency podcast with Kurt Hogue will be recording that on Tuesday uh, morning yes. and get that Excellent. out to the people very quickly. The uh, Journal Sentinel Point Forward podcast, which covers the Milwaukee Bucks, will also land Tuesday morning. Myself and Lori Nickel. Jim Ozarski's house is falling apart. Like, his, there's a water main break and they have to tear up the floorboards and stuff. Ooh. Not a water main break, but a, a pipe burst. Uh, I don't think he's going to be on the hook for it because something happened but okay. it definitely is Good. causing a lot of destruction so uh so he wasn't available this week but we still have those podcasts dropping on a fairly regular basis in your normal podcast feeds they're called micro brew and the point forward podcast you check those out uh especially if you're a bucks fan because yes, we're definitely should. doing one of those a week indeed they're great um sorry for jim's problems hope hope they go well <laughs> yep i think i think i think they'll be okay he's very he's very mellow like he, stuff does not get him down i don't yeah. think he experiences stress so he'll be all right. I'll be so lucky. Matt, you got anything? Uh, so I just want to say, JR, your daily briefing on Friday was a delight. <laughs> That's the second week in a row I get a reading plug about the daily shooting. Briefing. Yeah, reading about shooting stars that I will never see. Uh, <laughs> it was it was quite nice. Um, I owe Charles Woodson an apology. Ooh. Um, I finished his bottle of bourbon from uh, Woodson Bourbon Batch 1, which apparently I found out, had I left sealed and unopened, would have been worth uh, about 20 times what I paid for it. Mm. Um, Woodson Bourbon is not terribly complex when you drink it uh, on the rocks, but when it is neat with just a couple drops of water, it really opens up. I apologize to Charles Woodson. It was actually an enjoyable experience now that I drink bourbon neat. Okay. So there you go. Apologies to Charles. Okay. Um, as for me, I will have a preview of the Rams up at the Shepherd Express tomorrow. Um, we're recording on Monday, so tomorrow is Tuesday. Um, and uh, I got to do something for ABC. I'm not sure what that's going to be yet. Uh, also, I wrote a song for Matt to sing, so he's got to do that, um, even if he doesn't want to. And uh, got some, <laughs> even if he some, some other stuff along those lines, too. So that'll do it for us. Yeah, enjoy the game. Oh, we're on Monday night this week, right? We are not on Sunday. Oh, God. That's that's right, right? I'm not crazy. Yeah, nope, Monday Night Football, Monday, that's correct. Okay, good. Rams, Packers, yes. All right, in, enjoy the game on Monday then, and uh, another Sunday without football. That's weird. I don't like it.
stats and definitions because we're going to go through a few here. And uh, so DVOA is defense adjusted value over average um, in efficiency stat. It, it, uh, both the, the outsider stats we're talking about will be talking about are adjusted for the quality of the defense faced, which is important to know. Um, that's why they both start with D. That's why they're a little awkward, honestly. Um, D-Y-A-R, it does not pronounce uh, well, awkward, is defense-adjusted yards above replacement. That's very baseball-y. We'll get into that one in a bit. EPA uh, is expected points added. Um, CPOA is completion percentage over expected. Uh, RAS is relative athletic score. And then PFF grades is not an acronym for anything. So um, without further ado, let's move into what those all are. I, I just made a list of the ones we talk about most. I could probably get more esoteric than this, but um, let's start with football outsiders um, because we do, I think, talk about DVOA and DYAR more than just about anything else. And football outsiders is essentially the oldest football analytics site. Uh, they've been doing this longer than anybody. Aaron Chats basically started it out of his garage on spreadsheets and, uh, it still holds up pretty well because Aaron got, I would say he got the concepts correct on what he should be doing. There are definitely more sophisticated things now and more sophisticated models, but DVOA holds up pretty well because it is uh, been trending sort of toward EPA for a while as Aaron makes improvements to it. So um, I actually am not sure there's a great baseball comp to DVOA or EPA itself um, because it is a per play value statistic. So DVOA, a couple things go into it. The, the, the formula is proprietary, but you, if you go look at the outsiders' sort of charts and spreadsheets, it's all there for you to see. Uh, one of the big things is success rate. And um, EPA, I'll get to EPA itself in a bit, gets, gives us a little bit more precision on what a success is. Um, but Football Outsiders did a good job, I think, of creating the base of it. So um, their old base was... Uh, four yards on first down, um, six yards on second down, and a th- a converting a first down on third down was considered a success back in the day. I actually think they've gotten more granular on this to something more like the EPA model. But all DVOA fundamentally does, make this really easy for you, is um, it, it rewards you for creating first downs, for creating near first downs, for scoring touchdowns, for not fumbling, and for doing a lot with your touches. Just... Um, it, it, it's kind of as simple as that for the most part. And DVOA is a little weird because it does apply to all the skill positions. Um, so it's not just like a quarterback stat or a receiver stat or a running back stat uh, or a tight end stat. It works for all things fairly well because as long as you can quantify whether it was successful or not, it'll do that. Um, but... Uh, the, it, it's kind of a good all-encompassing one for that. DVOA also, it, because it is a rate stat, does have some issues with sample size sometimes. And um, the one thing I would maybe criticize outsiders a little bit for on DVOA is setting the the marks, the, the qualifying marks, a little low. Um, and that's, I think, just to get enough people in it to make it interesting. I think to be statistically significant, um, you would have to set it high enough. There would be like 45 people in it. That's kind of boring. Um, but uh, when we talk about DVOA, it is fundamentally a rate. It is when this guy touches the ball, he is super effective or super ineffective. Um, and that works well for the most part, but DYAR was necessary, especially for receivers. So um, I like DVOA for quarterbacks. So quarterbacks have a big sample size to work with more than everybody else. They touch the ball every play. 
Uh, every pass is recorded on a per-play basis. I think it's a good way to look at quarterbacks. DYAR, then they run this for all the skills too, but um, is essentially this. Um, it, 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 is, it adds volume context. So um, you know, if a guy is super efficient uh, on 20% of plays, is that guy more or less useful than a guy who is just you know efficient efficient on like 50% of plays on way more plays um, and this is sort of the Devonte Adams conundrum um, so let's do in fact a good way to look at this is probably Alan Lazard versus Devonte Adams uh, Alan Lazard is having a less efficient year this year but still pretty good he's 22nd in DVOA right now on a per play basis he's the 22nd most efficient wide receiver in the league um, that's pretty good. Alan Lazard is often very, very high in DVOA. He is often fifth or fourth or, uh, or higher. He's a top five efficiency guy. Um, Devontae Adams, uh, in contrast, is absolutely not that. He's usually around the mid-20s. Sometimes he's even a little worse. Um, his best season, I think he was like 11th or 12th, but that's his best season. <laughs> and um, Devontae Adams generates a lot of his value through volume. And we saw that with the Packers, where he led all NFL receivers in uh, target percentage for his team last season. He is very, very high in that again for the Raiders this year. And um, so he is not as efficient on a per-play basis as Alan Lazard, um, generally speaking. Actually, I should, but he might be this year. I should pull that up. But generally speaking, he's not. Um, but he, he, he creates so many more touches that are still efficient, even if they're not as efficient, that he creates value. So um, this is important because, of, at least especially from a receiver perspective, as you ascend the receiving chart, you draw harsher coverage, more double teams, higher quality cornerbacks. And so, you know, if you're just going to judge a guy on DVOA, it's going to slip over time um, it, it, with with the, the matchups getting tougher. I mean, I don't think anybody listening to this thinks Alan Lazard is better than Devontae Adams, myself included. Um, Devontae takes on a much harder job, and the fact that he still draws so many targets while facing that degree of difficulty is its own value and definitely did help Alan Lazard, who's gotten worse on a, an efficiency level with, um, with Adams elsewhere. Uh, if you look at sort of the DYAR charts and the DVOA charts on receivers specifically, uh, the DYAR chart will almost always look like what your brain imagines it should look like. You almost always get weird small sample size outliers on DVOA that can be useful in projecting guys forward. Uh, you know, it's better to be good and efficient than not. Um, but in terms of who's the best, DYAR is almost always better. Um, that goes for tight ends as well. And I, I would actually say for running backs too, where... Um, Running back's kind of its own thing because the line has so much to do with the success of a running back that almost all stats are so full of noise, uh, especially efficiency ones, that it's almost not worthwhile. Um, I don't have this on here, but the best running back stat, if you want to know how good a running back is, is honestly probably next-gen stats yards over expected. Um, it uh, tries to eliminate all of the biases of line play and things like that and get right down to what the running back actually contributes. It's very model-based. We'll do that one some other time because it's complicated. Um, but um, when we talk about DVOA and DYAR, it's basically DVOA is on a per-play basis, this guy's the best. And DYAR is um, over over a large sample size um, with degree of difficulty um, added to it, this guy is the best. It is a counting stat, as we often bring up. Um, the more catches you get, the more runs you make, the more passes you throw, 
uh, the more DYAR you will accumulate as long as you're efficient at it. Um, it DYAR will also show you if somebody sucks. If you are throwing 400 passes and you're terrible at all of them, you'll have a negative. <laughs> and uh, that's how that works. By the way, Carson Wentz did have a negative for much of the season. When Taylor Henneke took over, they had just a huge uptick for that. So um, those are old. They're based on sort of those very simple models of what constitutes success. And they work pretty well. Um, EPA is very model-based in terms of what it does. And EPA is expected points added. Um, <clears throat> it, it starts with a model of every play that takes place on in every location on the field, in every down and distance situation, and in every time scenario. It does. EPA, I said this wrong earlier this year. EPA has gotten better. It does ac account for close and late. And if a, if a game is over and it's a blowout, if you have a you know a big play like a twenty yard gain uh, when you're down by seventeen and there's two seconds left, well. <laughs> Um, yes, you, you, you've added EPA, but not as much. Um, in any case, uh, since EPA is model-based, it's complicated, and it does change from time to time uh, because the model updates based on the most recent three- or four-year scenario. If you're looking for a baseball comp on, on EPA, um, for that reason, you know it's a little Pakoda-y in how the model works. By the way, uh, baseball comp-wise, DYAR is a good war comp, I would say. Maybe VORP, going back a little while baseball-wise, since it's really sort of runs versus yards. Um, but it is really the sort of value stat. Like, just like war is a counting stat, DYAR is a counting stat. And it's the same concept of efficiency times value. Um, comes down to that. Um, EPA uh, is not really a, a person stat. And that's one of the weird things about it. Um, it tells you how the team improved its situation from one play to another. If it starts at the 50-yard line on first and 10, they will be expected to score a certain amount of points. Let's just call it like three. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> uh, let's say it's first and 10, they gain 20 yards. Uh, so it's first and 10 again, 20 yards closer to on the 30-yard line. Say their, their EPA is now four points. They're expected to score four points from that area on average over you know the course of 10,000 situations. They'll have one EPA from that play, one play to the other, because that's how much they've added. Um, that's fundamentally how it works. Like I said, it's a, it's a kind of opaque model, um, and it is a team stat, which I think is where things get a little squirrely with it sometimes. So if you go check, we usually use Ben Baldwin's um, site for this when we grab it, which is RB's DM. Uh, because the front end on it is good. Uh, ben uses NFL Fast R as the back end for that, R being the statistical model that most, uh, these either R or Python are sort of the two uh, just database, um, yeah, that's not what they are, languages, cr crunching mechanisms, I don't know, um, for, for calculating all of these models and statistics. Um, NFL Fast R, you can play with yourself. Uh, ben has a nice guide to it if you want to. R is free. R Studio is free. I've used it before. It's not that bad. Um, but where things get squirrely with EPA is it is a team stat. And so when you apply it to other people, other you know more granular uh, portions of the team, yeah, you can get some information from there, but it is a little bit more general than you might like. Um, we use EPA for quarterbacks fairly often because quarterbacks do so much um, of the work on a football team. They are very, very valuable compared to other 
you know, players, and we can cut off the run plays from them, and so just concentrate on passing plays. It'll give you a good idea of how much quarterbacks are contributing to the game, but it's hardly perfect, and certainly it does not separate out wide receiver contributions or anything like that. Uh, you know, we can do the same thing for wide receivers on these catches generate this EPA. That's all possible, but there's some noise in there um, for sure. You'll see Ben usually cross EPA per play. Um, with CPOE, um, which is next on my list. We'll get to that. Um, but uh, um, EPA is, I think it's going to remember fundamentally a team stat. And uh, so when, whenever we do assign it to a player, there should always be a sort of a caveat in the back of your head, like um, this guy, it was involved in generating this much value, but there may be additional context that is necessary. So uh, let's move on to CPOE because this is what Ben does cross his quarterback stats with. And CPOE is completion percentage above or over expected. That's the O um, over, not above. Um, and this is another model-based statistic because um, anytime you see the expected, well, there has to be a line that is the expected. Um, we, we see a lot in baseball, like OPS plus and, and stuff like that will be compared to average. We do a lot of replacement player comparisons in baseball. <clears throat> Expected is kind of a football-y concept. It gets into other sports too, but with enough model replications, with enough uh, Monte Carlo simulations, things of that nature, um, we can establish, based on situations, and I'll get to CPOEs in a second, uh, what what should happen normally. Uh, on CPOE, it takes the distance a pass is traveling. Um, the uh, s Some of them are more sophisticated than others, by the way. There's a college one that's very sophisticated that 538 uses or has access to that I don't, um, that actually also um, inputs the degree of difficulty of the conference being faced in secondary. Um, so I will tell you that there's some opaqueness to this. And I know that the NFL fast version, I don't think, adjusts for the difficulty of the secondary faced, though I could be wrong. But uh, I believe it's mostly how far your pass is traveling and the distance that a corner was from the receiver when the catch actually happened or didn't happen. I think uh, we do manage to get all that in there using the next-gen engine, but I could be wrong. Um, but conceptually, CPO is just that. Like we, we, we figure out based on where this pass was going um, and how much separation there was, whether it, the, what the odds of its completion percentage would be normally, and whether you complete more of those or less of those. Um, based on that, you can sort of adjust for quarterbacks who throw more challenging, deeper passes. Um, you can give credit to guys who really put it on the numbers or you know put it on the backside when it needs to go on the backside and lead guys when they need to lead guys. And you can uh, ding guys for driving their normal completion percentage artificially high through checking down all the time. Now, CPOE is itself not perfect. If you follow gambler people like Warren Sharp, they will often have a problem with this because you can actually spam CPOE a little bit through short passes. It will usually grade those guys, not grade them. It will usually result in them having higher CPOEs and guys who throw it on the field, the weighting on it can maybe use a little work. There is some art to interpreting it. <laughs> but generally speaking, it's better than normal completion percentage because it does at least build in a little bit um, of deep passes are harder. Uh, the expectation is lower. So even if your completion percentage is lower, it will be higher over the expected, which is op pretty obvious hearing it just now out loud. Um, 
but again, uh, it can, it, it's not perfect. Uh, crossing with EPA, I think, is a really good idea. Uh, it, conceptually, how I run like CubeOps, um, same kind of concept. Like the EPA will tell you, you generate a lot of value on an individual throw, and the CPOE will tell you, and also, you know, you're completing more than average for the depth. Uh, it's it, combined, they're a very good efficiency stat together. Um, Archon once told me Ben calls that stat Dakota. I've never seen any evidence of that, but kind of like it because it's Pakota Um I had one more CPOE thing, but I can't remember what it was. Um, anyway, ignore gambling people to Warren Sharp sucks. Um, oh, uh, college. Uh, CPOE is the best single predictor for college success at the next level for quarterbacks. It's hard to get a hold of, though. That's why I built my stats <laughs> that, that exist there. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and, and it's probably closest to WOBA, I think, for baseball. Um, that That's uh, the one I always keep in the back of my head for it. All right, so uh, next one, a relative athletic score, Raz, which is Kentley Platts. You've seen the cards. I feel like this one's pretty self-explanatory. Raz is a scouting metric. It is uh, a combination uh, and weighting of athletic testing compared to all of the other athletic testing that has ever gone on. So we can tell with a good degree of certainty how athletic a player is compared to this year's class, all-time classes, um, Kent has weighted, or he has all-time and current Raz. So, like, if you look at Randy Moss, um, his Raz was awesome at the time. It's not as good anymore. Um, but uh, Raz has four categories, agility, explosion, speed, and I think size is the last one. Um, and so it just gives you a very, very quick and dirty viewpoint into what the skills of an individual player are athletically based on what they do with the combine and their pro day. Um, simple as that. Raz is pretty simple. Uh, I like it better than Spark. Uh, honestly, the big part about Raz is Kent's visualization, his data visualization on this is great. Uh, it's organized. It's how I, I strive to make all of my presentation charts look uh, in my regular job. He did a fantastic job with it. Um, but that's Raz's 10-point scale, and it's how athletic you are on a 10-point scale. It's great. Um, and last thing I'll just talk about is PFF grades because we... We use them, we ridicule them, we love them, we hate them, um, but they are, I think, useful for a couple of reasons. One, they, they you know, any kind of scouting like this um, does try to eliminate a lot of the, uh, the additional factors that play into production. So I mentioned running backs earlier, and a running back's DVOA is frankly not that helpful in identifying how good the running back is it, it is effective in telling us how effective the running game for that team is if you compare a running back's dvoa to the other running backs on their team you can sometimes get an idea if the sample size is big enough but it's very very hard to parse out offensive line play from running back play it just is stats are never going to tell you everything about running backs except maybe for the next gen one i mentioned earlier and, you know, there's a lot of modeling and tracing and tracking that goes into that. Um, it's a very complicated stat to do it that way. Uh, PFF grades are um, old school scouting with numbers given to them, which is not new at all. I mean, baseball scouting has always been on the 2080 scale. Um, honestly, PFF should adopt it because they have some problems in how they do this, but... Um, they are scouting grades. They try to do quite a few of them. They try to create sample size with their scouting grades. Um, they And I will say this. I know we rip on PFF a lot because they have head scratchers with some regularity, but they do try to keep this fairly regimented. They do have a, 
a, a pretty strict playbook in terms of how grading works. They put you through your paces to learn how to do it. Um, and they do try and create sample size by uh, often having more than one grader uh, per person, per, per game, per team. Because one person's biases are going to show through if they do the same thing over and over again. Um, th their processes are not terrible. And uh, Ben Baldwin has tested PFF grades against the other um, you know, analytics stats uh, that, that show value many, many times. And PFF grades actually hold up pretty well over a large sample. They have problems. Everything has problems over a small sample. Um, but they do work, um, generally speaking. Yeah, there's head scratchers this year, believe me. But... Uh, they can absolutely be useful in telling us if maybe somebody's not popping on the stat sheet but is grading well and being held back by their offensive line or being held back by the quality of their receivers. And they are often right about those kinds of things. Um, they're also very good for giving us data on the positions that don't generate traditional statistics. You know, we have stats on the skill positions. I only really deal with skill positions because I can't tell you if an offensive lineman is good or not. I, I mean, I can give you i have some idea i'm not a total idiot but but like offensive line play is nuanced and hard to judge in a vacuum it just is so you know if we need some idea of a guy who is a good offensive lineman or defensive lineman or linebacker uh, above and beyond like tackles and passes defended or for offensive linemen behind i don't even know um they are legitimately good for that but it is just grading based on technique criteria that they teach their graders uh and the one thing i will say for pff grades is I'm not always sure that they are great at capturing useful versus useless information. I think that there are techniques that are overrated that guys still get great. Just as an example, like quarterbacks will have run blocking grades in PFF, and they tend to be small sample and not matter in the grand scheme of things, but they are there, and they definitely impact overall grades. That's stupid. I don't want my quarterback run blocking like at all. Um, and there are little examples of that strewn throughout where I'm, I'm not sure you guys have put a lot of thought into how this actually works. Now, uh, PFF does have an analytics arm as well, separate from their grades, that has done a lot of good work on positional, um, positional value. If you're a baseball fan, you know about positional value. You know that shortstop is harder to play than first base. And so the offensive profile for a shortstop... Uh, doesn't have to be as good to be valuable as a first baseman where you can put, you know, Rowdy Telez and he can smack 30 home runs. Um, you know, that guy can't play shortstop. Um, football is weird because quarterback's so valuable and everything else is so much less valuable that it kind of swamps everything. But PFF has been doing work on like a war for a long time. And they, ha they do have, I think, a good understanding of at least the, the basis of what's valuable and what's not, what's less valuable, what's more valuable. But that's not part of the grades. Uh, the grades do not reflect any kind of positional value. <laughs> and uh, it's always worth keeping that in mind. Um, even their, their big board is not great on positional value. They, uh, they laugh at running back picks in their little room. But on their actual boards, they are still pretty opaque about that kind of thing. Anyway, um, that's probably enough on stats just to sort of wrap up. Um, like DVOA like, doesn't really have a good baseball comparison but it's just value per play straight up no volume considered at all DYAR is uh, volume times um, times efficiency uh, so 
Uh, EPA is also value per play, um, kind of like the EPA and EPA are very close. They've been getting closer as time's gone on too. Uh, two peas in a pod there, uh, two ways of expressing the same thing. Two different wars, if you're a baseball person, like that's like warp and B-war or warp and F4. That's all you got there. Um, CPOA, I do kind of like his WOBA. Um, <laughs> Raz is just 2080 scale scout, or uh, um, not that. It's 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 just athletic scouting. It's straight up athletic scouting doesn't tell you anything about skill levels, yeah, but it's you know good to pick out of the athletic bucket. PFF grades are just 2080 scale. That's all it is. So um, hope that simplifies everything for you. Um, it's a bunch of things getting at the same concepts um, in different ways. And football really is very model-based compared to uh, um, a lot of other sports, which I do think sets it apart. And uh, I'm not going to get into the next gen here because it is super wonky, but next gen stats uses all that tracking data really, really well. And the NFL runs the big data bowl every year, um, asking a bunch of data scientists to attack a specific problem and gives them access to next gen stats to do it. They end up developing stats out of that, which is a really good way to go about it. I really like it. Um, like um, running uh, rushing yards over expected came out of the big data bowl. And uh, the the hard thing there is just that they're all model based. They're all really wonky, um, over expected, um, based on just thousands and thousands of samples of actual tracking data. Um, it's a little bit more opaque, but uh, there's good stuff there. Like that's where the cutting edge stuff all lies, um, and uh, worth keeping an eye on next gen for that reason. So I'll wrap up there. Um, that is our stats primer for the week. We have the week off, so everybody enjoy, you know, shoveling snow, fixing up the house for the winter, all that stuff when you're, of course, not watching football. Um, we'll be back next week with normal shows, probably a funzy um, big show. I will append the stat part of this to the end of that as well if you want to hear it again. Um, but until then, uh, everybody enjoy the games this week. Now that the case in place, where the seed-